morning, guys. Good to see you today. It's a great day. Great day to be together. George Liddell wrote, give me a man of God, one man, one mighty prophet of the Lord, and I will give you peace on earth, bought with a prayer and not a sword. It's interesting to see the way God worked through solitary individuals, through one life at a time. You can go through the scriptures and see how God just chose to work in the life of Abraham and then the life of Moses and in the life of David. Uh, There are great examples among the prophets, Jonah, uh, one of them. And uh, I was thinking about uh, the story of Noah and uh, a recent uh, sort of offshoot of that story. Remember the movie Evan Almighty? Did you see that one with your kids? Uh, It's an interesting movie. Uh, It's about a politician who ran for office uh, on the platform of change. It's interesting. All our politicians seem to be doing that these days. Everybody trying uh, to uh, change what's going on. And I just want you to see this clip and uh, just get one person's um, kind of uh, perspective and uh, see his encounter with God. You know, those boys were having so much fun tonight, I thought I would never get them to bed. And then Ryan did the cutest thing. He asked if we could all pray together. Really? What, uh, what did you pray about? He met a dog. What do you think he prayed for? Oh, yuck. Oh. Walking petri dish, that dog. And Jordan was very precise. He prayed for good visibility, good weather, and the hiking trip tomorrow. The hiking trip? Oh, right. Yeah, the hiking trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to know what I prayed for? Yeah. What did you pray for? I prayed we would become closer as a family. Honey, you don't need to pray for that to happen. I will make that happen. What would you pray for? Me. I don't know. Praying just... (sighs) Honey, you're the one who said you wanted to change the world. It's a pretty big job. If it were me, I would take all the help I could get. Former Buffalo News anchor Evan Baxter takes office tomorrow to make good on a lofty campaign promise. What are we going to do? Change the world! Good luck, Congressman. Many have tried. Many have failed. Hello! This is Regina Sparks reporting for MS... Hello there. Hi. This is Evan Baxter. Um, just wanted to say thank you for everything. Thank you for the new car and for the house. The house is great. Um, I love it. I mean, I picked it out, but you created matter and everything, so. Um, I just wanted to say that I think Joan makes a good point and that I am now in a position of great power. And I know that with great power comes great responsibility. So, God, please help me change the world. Okay, that's it. I'm hanging up now. God bless. Well, you. Is that the way your prayer times go? I, uh... I love Moses' dialogue with God. When we left him last week, he was talking to God. 
and uh, actually talking to a bush, and, uh, and God was speaking to him out of that, and God uh, revealed to him that he had a great plan for his life. But Moses is not unlike a lot of us. He had questions about that. I suppose if the Lord just showed up in our lives and said, here, I want you to go change the world, we might have some questions. And I want us to think about Moses' questions today in his dialogue with God. I'd like to read to you from Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. I've titled this message, Because He Is, You Can. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Why don't we stand together to read the scriptures today. Moses answered, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow, Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us from your word today. I pray that we would know what you want us to know so that we can do what you want us to do. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God had a purpose uh, for Moses, which he revealed from the burning bush. And I just want you to notice that um, God's desire to deliver his people from Egypt included a potential obligation for Moses. You see it in chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. God says, I have come down, therefore you go. My coming obligates you. And immediately Moses begins to make excuses, and we see the excuses. And I just want you to see... Uh, the flaw in all of his excuses it goes back to chapter 3 when he, he, he asked God two questions. First of all, who am I? And second of all, who are you? Those two questions are at the root of his problem. He doesn't know who he, who he is. He doesn't know who God is. And really those are interrelated because if Moses had understood who God was, then he would understand who he was in God's hand. So when he questions his own credibility and ability, God assures Moses that it's not about Moses. And I love that we've come to this this place because I was eating lunch with a friend of mine last week and he made this interesting statement. You know, sometimes the best truths just come as throwaways. We were driving back to the church and he said to me, you know, I had a friend years ago who studied major organizations across the country and looked at leaders to see which kind of leaders succeed and which kind of leaders fail. And he said, he he sort of summed it up in this way. He said, there are two kinds of people out there trying to lead. There are, on the one hand, those people who feel like at the end of the day, their goal in life is to be somebody. That's what they live for. They want to be somebody. 
They want to leave a legacy. They want people to remember them. They want to say, I am somebody. He said, on the other hand, there are those people who say, I want to do something. I want to get something done. And this is what he left me with as I was getting out of the car. He said, those people who want to be somebody never make good leaders. Because at the end of the day, when they're making difficult decisions for their organization, for the future, for their uh, vision and their purpose as a company, they're more interested in themselves than they are in getting something done. And at the end of the day, those who are bound and determined to be somebody will neither be anybody nor get anything done. Have a good day, Dwayne, he said. And I got out of the car. And I ran into him Sunday morning, right before the 1015 service, and I leaned down and took his hand. I said, now tell me again, what were the two things? He said, some people want to be somebody, and some people want to get something done. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going um, to do your homework for you today, but I've, I've, got to, I've got to struggle with that question. And I wondered as I heard that, Lord, how many times have I been more interested in being somebody than in getting something done. Because the point of Exodus chapter 4 and this part in the life of Moses is that Moses, his first question, in fact, all of his questions sort of relate to the fact that he's interested in what's going to happen to Moses. What happens to me in this deal? So he has all kinds of questions about his credibility. They're not going to believe me. He has questions about his ability. How am I going to do this? But God only has one question of Moses, and this is important. God is only interested in Moses' availability he's not interested in moses credibility because god's got credibility enough for both of them he's not interested primarily in moses ability because god's got ability enough for both of them but what god will not take from moses and he will not take from you and me is availability he's not going to make us make ourselves available to him but he will give us opportunities to do so if our eyes and ears are open Sometimes I think we make the same excuses that Moses did. We sometimes question our own credibility. Just look at verse 1 there. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? What do I do then? What about my credibility? And the answer to my credibility issues is is my relationship with God. He not only sends us, he attends us. In chapter 3, verse 12, God had promised Moses, I'm going to be with you. He even shows Moses the outcome in in chapter 3, verse 18. When he promises that they will listen to him. God is the only one who sees the end from the beginning. But Moses is sort of the designated worrier. And he's concerned about his credibility. He knew he had credibility issues. Just kind of review his story with me for a minute. And you'll understand why he felt that way. He had been the poster boy for the Israelites uh, as a member of Pharaoh's house. But now he was just the poster boy on the walls of the post offices in Egypt. He was kind of uh, the, the feature story on Egypt's most wanted. Uh, he, he flees from Egypt because he kills a man. What I did must have become known. And for 40 years, he has washed his hands in the well of Midian. But he still can't get his hands clean. He still can't forgive himself for failing as a leader. And Moses believes that he must be believable for God to be believed. But he's got it in reverse. In fact, God is the one who is trustworthy. So people trust in him. It's valuable for us to be credible. But the effectiveness of God's work does not ultimately depend on our faithfulness, our trustworthiness, or our credibility. Or it would never get done. We are, by nature, imperfect at carrying out our work. We can be a little bit like Stuart Berger, the health columnist for the New York Post. And he was the author of, of best-selling diet and health books that promised increased longevity. For those who would follow his regimen, a couple of his titles, you may remember these, Forever Young, 20 Years Younger in 20 Weeks, and Dr. Berger's Immune Power Diet. 
People who read his columns and books religiously were surprised to hear that he died at the age of 40. They were especially surprised to read that he had not taken care of his health. And that was why he had died. His credibility died with him. Credibility is a good thing. I mean, if you can get it, get it. But understand that ultimately it's God's credibility that's at stake when he's using our lives. So, for instance, Tony Campolo tells a a stirring story about a drunk down in the Bowery Mission. Uh, Prior to Joe's conversion, he was viewed as a hopeless, dirty wino. It seemed as though his existence in the ghetto would fade away one night into a drunken stupor and death. But but God had a different plan for Joe. And Joe made a life-changing commitment to Christ, was supernaturally transformed. He became a compassionate and and caring person who spent his days helping in the mission. No task was too lowly for Joe. Cleaned up the vomit of the alcoholics, scrubbed down the restrooms of the careless drunks, assisted men into bed when they were too drunk to find their bunk, and always maintained a smile that communicated his gratitude for being able to help. One night when the missions director was giving an evangelistic appeal, a repentant drunk came to the altar and knelt down and said, Please, God, make me like Joe. Oh, God, please make me like Joe. And he kept repeating this prayer. And finally, the the director of the mission just reached over and said, I think it would be better if you prayed Make me like Jesus. Why don't you just pray, make me like Jesus? And the man looked up and asked sincerely from his drunken state, Why? Is he like Joe? Oh God, make me like Joe. If a person didn't know about Jesus, would he want to be like us? That's a question of credibility. And I want credibility in my life. But God's work in this world is not going to wait on my credibility. I'm up and down. I have good days and bad days. God, as I said Sunday, has never had a bad day. Fortunately, God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. So God shifts the focus from Moses to himself as he answers him. He says, you've got this staff in your hand. I can turn it into a snake. You can put your hand in your cloak and pull it out. I can turn your hand into leprosy. I can turn it back, thankfully. I can turn a water into blood. I've got credibility. You don't have to have credibility. Let me just illustrate. We think that being useful for God in carrying out his work would be like you or me trying to win the master's golf tournament with Tiger Woods golf clubs. That's not what God asks us to do. It's actually more like Tiger Woods taking our clubs and trying to win the tournament. You don't have to be God in the golf game of life. You just have to, you just have to be the club. And God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. Uh, those of you who've played golf with me, you can answer the question, who would be better at winning the Masters, Tiger with my clubs or me with Tiger's clubs? Please don't answer that question. The key to golf is not the club or else the game... Uh, would be easy. So God gives him these opportunities with the, the staff. I noticed, uh, if you've noticed in our stained glass window in the Old Testament side, there's a picture of a snake up there. Somebody said, why is there a picture of a snake in the sanctuary? Well, it's the staff that became the snake in the snake. It's in the part of that uh, with the Mosaic Covenant in that one part of the window there uh, to the left of the creation story. And uh, he's got this ability that God's given him. But God is the somebody. So if you think about it, Moses' question really is, I'm not somebody enough to be used by you. And God says, you don't have to be somebody. You just have to do something. I'll be somebody. Sometimes we question not only our credibility, but our ability. I want you to notice that in verses 10 to 12. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He says, I'm not good at this. And God says, who gave man his mouth? I created your mouth. You're worried about your ability. Um, He's not alone in this fear, by the way. Uh, they say that the one greatest fear next to death for most people is, is public speaking. I have a friend named Melvin Gray who used to pastor the church across the street from us. And he said when he surrendered to uh, 
ministry, he said to the man uh, who was his overseer, he said, I'm going into the ministry, but I don't want to talk in front of people. And uh, I would just say that God frequently calls us to work in areas where, where we are not strong. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12.10 says that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. That should be comforting to us. That means we don't have to be at our best for God to get something done. In fact, he goes on to say, Paul does, uh, as he's talking about the thorn in the flesh he has, that's why for Christ's sake, I will delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong because God's strength is perfected in my weakness. And so uh, it's a good thing, I think, to be humble. But Moses is going beyond humility here. He's not just saying, I can't be used to speak. I can't speak. He's saying, not even you who made my mouth can use me, God. And that's a a sort of dangerous place to be. I appreciate humility. Billy Graham was once asked by a reporter, Billy, there are many better preachers than you. So why does God use you? And Billy Graham said, that will be the first question I ask when I get to heaven. Uh, Humility can be be useful to God. Um, Somebody said, uh, humble people don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. I think it was Booker T. Washington who said, start from where you are with what you have. It's plenty enough. So he shows uh, Moses, you, you think you can't speak. You've got a brother who can speak. I can get that part done. The question is, are you going to be available to me? I was reading a story this week that I thought was pretty good by Leo Hartshorn. Uh, Leo told about uh, an Arabic man who had three sons. Some of you can relate to this. He had three sons. And when it came time for him to die, he wanted to divide up his inheritance between his sons. He had 17 camels. So here's what he wrote in his will. The oldest son gets half the camels. Uh, The next oldest son gets one-third of the camels. And the youngest son gets one-sixth of the camels. Now, this is a problem because, as you know, 17 cannot be divided by uh, two or three or six. And so the boys were wondering. They they had a meeting and said, how are we going to take our inheritance without shedding each other's blood and without shedding the camel's blood? It was a big thing for them. But a neighbor came over and said, can I loan you my camel? And they said, sure. So now they had 18. The oldest boy took nine. Uh, The next oldest boy took six. And the youngest boy took two. If you add that up, it adds up to 17. They gave their neighbor his camel back and everybody went home happy. And uh, Leo Hartshorn says, this is a story of of unessential necessities. Uh, It was a necessity that they have that camel in the mix But it was an unessential necessity. Nobody ended up with that camel. And I would say that our gifts that we bring to the table are like that for God. They're kind of unessential necessities. We can throw them in. Maybe it helps out in the mix. But at the end of the day, God doesn't have to have my abilities to get his work done. God just has to have me. Because if he has me, he can give me the abilities. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So he calls Moses and Moses immediately says, I don't have the equipment. And God says, don't worry, I'm in the equipping business. I can give you equipment, but only you can give me you. And so I need you to make yourself available. So the final question is a question of availability. And I just want you to see that in verse 13 when he says, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Now, I'm going to talk Sunday about Isaiah saying, here am I, Lord, send me. But Moses has a different take on that. It's more like. Here am I, Lord, send somebody else. I mean, he, uh, he goes beyond uh, the reluctance of Jeremiah. He goes beyond the reluctance of some of God's great servants, Saul, who doesn't want to be king. He goes beyond the reluctance of Jeremiah, who says, I'm too young. In fact, I think he goes beyond reluctance all the way 
to recalcitrance. That is, uh, he doesn't want to do it. And so it doesn't matter. Um, he, you know, any excuse is good as another if you don't want to get something done. In fact, it's sort of like the man whose neighbor asked to borrow his rope. And he said, no, I, I've, I've tied up my dog with my rope. And he said, but you don't have a dog. And he said, I know, but if you don't want to lend your rope to somebody, any excuse is as good as another. Well, that's where Moses is. I mean, he's got an excuse. He, uh, he slides past reluctance to recalcitrance. And I just wondered as I read this story, what else does Moses have going that's more important than God's plan to deliver his people? Well, Lord, I've got these sheep I've got to take care of. You know, I mean, somebody's got to take care of these sheep. You know, somebody's got to be out here and show them where to find food and all of that. Look, all of us can make our lives available for something. Be sure that what you're doing will make a difference for God. Because you don't have to be somebody, but you do have to do something. And we have no limitation that an unlimited God cannot overcome. The question for us, like it was for Moses, is are we willing to be used by him? And I wondered, what does God have to do to make us available to him? To make us make ourselves available to him. What does he have to do? They say that uh, during the Civil War that Abraham Lincoln was always trying to get General McClellan to get into a battle somewhere. But McClellan would always uh, hesitate at the moment when it came time for the battle. And so finally, Abraham Lincoln sent him a, uh, a telegram that said, If you're not planning to do anything with your army, would you lend it to me for a while? Because I've got something I could do with your army if it were available to me. And I remember Petra, one of the original sort of Christian rock groups, had this song. It's kind of a mellow song for them. And the song was, I'm available. I'm available. I will go when you say go. I'm available. I will stop when you say no. My whole life was incomplete until I laid it at your feet. So use me as you will. I am available. Gladys Aylward has been called the most noted single woman missionary of the 20th century. She went into China, led a group of children across a mountain range to freedom. There's a movie that was made out of that. And on the way, after they had met a great obstacle, she was ready to give up. But the children to whom she had taught the Bible came to her aid. One of them said, but Miss Gladys, don't you remember the story of Moses and how he delivered the children of Israel into the promised land? And Gladys said, of course I do, but I'm not Moses. And the, the little girl said, I know you're not Moses, but God is still God. Now lead us over the mountain to freedom. Here's my word to you today, guys. And here's the big question I want you to ponder and work through. In your life, in your work, have you been more focused on being somebody or doing something? And I know it's important to be before we do, but I'm talking about that word somebody. Do you have to be somebody or are you willing to allow the only somebody who's anybody to take you and use you for his glory. And I repeat the title of the message. Because God is. You can. Thank you.